My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer U Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Freddie Stover is a mother, a nurse, and a singer. She has been a nurse for 34 years, and she has been a professional singer for 25 years. She currently works as a GI surgical oncology outpatient nurse with pancreatic, rectal, and colon cancer patients. She performs for charitable events every year, and she has performed in local hospitals. As a twice breast cancer survivor, she gives her time and energy to those who are fighting their cancer and to those who have lost a loved one to cancer. Freddie, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I am. I feel honored, grateful, and blessed, humbly, that I'm given the opportunity to share my story you know, with um, you and others who are like me or who are going through this or who've been caregivers. So thanks again. Oh, well, gosh, the pleasure is all mine. And before we talk about your cancer journey, uh, because being a nurse predates that, correct? Am I guessing that correctly? So tell me about becoming a nurse and why oncology? Because my mother was a nurse and so I grew up around doctors and hospitals, but she did stay away from certain types of nursing. So I'm always really fascinated okay. when people go into oncology. So tell us how that whole thing started. When I was younger, way before, and I mean in my teens, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Wow. <laughs> because I'm fascinated by the human brain. Like it just fascinates me to this day it does. And then I started working in an outpatient clinic as a medical assistant and the director of nursing and then the uh, manager, they were fantastic. They were great. I I couldn't believe that nurses had, even back then in the 80s, nurses had so much autonomy. They were smart. They were well-respected. And that's what I found. I said, maybe I should become a nurse. You know, I already had my (laughs) oldest. Easy to do. Well, that's a lie. Never think that, but that's what I thought back then. And so fast forward, you know, I went to nursing school, graduated, got into medical surgical nursing. But back then I saw a little bit of everything on the unit that I worked. I got into surgical oncology because of the, they were combining, you know, floors, like two floors together. Surgery had already fascinated me. And so uh, surgical oncology dealing with people, men and women who had breast cancer, it it was, um, it was very interesting. But when I was on the IV team before that, uh, we used to give chemo Mm. and I never knew, and the course was tough to take. It was tough all around and it fascinated me to give people this drug that hopefully, you know, put them in remission, kill the cancer, whatever. And then surgical oncology. So over time, I loved surgical nursing. I said, this is great. You know, we get to heal the patient immediately instead of them having some kind of chronic illness and it just lingers, 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 lingers. 
and so taking care of breast cancer patients, um, I was very, very fascinated by it. And my mother, she ended up dying of, you know, two different kind of cancers, but she had four cancers in her lifetime. And when I finished nursing school, she had breast cancer. I didn't know anything about that, but you know, I learned fast. So I was very, until this day, doing the gastrointestinal cancers, I'm very fascinated by that. It's, it's very sad, the big C, no matter what cancer you have, it's still that big C, but it's fascinating as far as working with the patients, the appreciation, the doctors, the medical oncologists and surgeons, which I work for a surgeon, dealing with the insurance companies. I'm smiling. <laughs> Can't imagine. Um, dealing with the pharmacies, dealing with other departments. It's just very fascinating and it's my drive to keep doing this. I would not want have done any, I've done other nursing, but that's my calling as surgical oncology. And why GI cancers specifically? Because you're really a specialist now. Yes, I am. Actually, at the time, I was looking to go back to the organization that I work for now because I had left the VA and I was in between jobs. And I started job searching um, within this organization's website and I found it. And I said, well, I'm already familiar with it because I used to work for our cancer center. It's the Hillman Cancer Center here in Pittsburgh. There's other outlying ones throughout Western Pennsylvania and Eastern Pennsylvania. And I said, I used to do research and it was GI working with those cancers that you mentioned. I said, I could do the surgical part of it. And so the surgeon I work for, I remember taking care of his patients uh, when I was a bedside nurse and he's great. He's got a great bedside manner. He deeply cares about his patients. Um, he's brilliant um, and he cares about his staff. I learned this over the time being in this job. And I said, you know, and plus I needed a job. I said, so why don't I go with something that I'm kind of familiar with, but I know I have some catching up to do because I'd been out of that for a long time. So that's why. And I love what I do. It's just sad because when one of our patients, you know, passed away or I, I become sad, I don't cry. It just kind of hurts my heart and it makes me drive to continue doing this. Before we talk about your cancer journey and even your mother's four <laughs> cancer journeys, oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Did nursing school prepare you to be an oncology nurse? Back then, no, it, not oncology per se. It prepared me for the culture of nursing nursing Ooh. school there are days that i say i wish i was back in nursing school and then i have heard nurses throughout my years come you know oh thank god i'm done with school i said well between me and you i'd rather be a professional student i'd rather just stay <laughs> in school and call it a day you know because my family will test it i'm the only one out of uh, my siblings i love going to school i would cry mm, when i too. was little when i you know i had the mumps i had measles i would cried and I had to miss school. I was just like, no, no, no. <laughs> it prepared me for the culture. Tell me more about that. That's interesting. What do you mean culture? The culture of, and I'm going to speak on nursing, the culture was very different back then compared to now. There's four levels. When I got to the second level, I failed. And I pretty much failed clinical, which means you failed that whole semester. 
because the instructor told me that, you know, maybe I should think about getting into being a social worker. And I'm like, what? And it was very condescending and it broke my heart. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I went in a state of depression and then I sat out for another year and I could apply. I had to wait a year before I reapplied. And I'm the person of faith. And so ever since my oldest was born 42 years ago, I prayed every day, even if it was a short prayer, two words or a half an hour. And I prayed and I said, Lord, if you get me through this, I'm going to do the best that I can and learn as much as I can. I may not be the smartest person on the planet, which I don't want to be, but I want to be where my doctors trust me, our patients trust me. I know what I'm doing. And so I graduated from nursing school with a high QPA. I think it was like 3.5, 3.6, something like that. And I said, I can do this. Nowadays, I am finding that nursing school, I'm hearing nursing students throughout the, you know, at least the last five years, they have this one person that's encouraging. They can get through it. Mm-hmm. Back then, being an African-American woman, an adult, probably the next, I was probably like third or fourth in my class, you know, older, but I was in my late 20s and I was 30 when I graduated from nursing school. It was very different. So I had two things against me, my, uh, my race and then my age, even though I thought that was young. It wasn't. <laughs> But nowadays, you know, I'm like, that was old. But nowadays, I would speak in the last five years, it's very different. I don't hear that as much. I hear more, there's more encouraging. Um, This is only from what I can hear. You know, there's probably other nurses are like, no, 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 what you said the first time is still going on. I, I don't know that. I can only testify what I see and I hear. It's more so the work is hard. Please get me out of here. But there's always somebody encouraging that person, um, which is great. You yeah, know, that's huge. It, yeah, it's that, that is very huge. That's what I mean by the culture as far as things have changed. The work is probably a little bit harder because I hear some of the courses they're taking. I'm like, what? I said, I didn't take that. <laughs> I had, you know, anatomy and physiology, but, and, and, and my prerequisites were great. The, the professors were phenomenal. Like I learned so much, you know, and I wanted to do so much. So that, that's what I mean by that. So let's talk about you. You're a nurse, you understand this world and you are diagnosed with cancer so take us back to the beginning of your cancer journey. The first time I found out I had breast cancer was by accident. Um, I was having some other uh, GYN issues, gynae issues, and I went to my OBGYN. He's great. Um, he has since, he passed away several years ago, but he was fantastic. I loved him. And I was there and he said, by the way, when was your last mammogram? I never had one. He's like, well, given your family history. And so I had the mammogram. How old were you? I just want to. 41. I was going on. I was 40 turning 41. Okay. So on the younger side, for sure. Yeah. I got the call that, you know, I had the cancer and for 24 hours straight, I cried. Like it was nonstop. I cried in my sleep. I cried when I woke up. I cried when I was doing things. I just cried. I became angry, depressed, sad, angry, depressed, sad. I mean, it was a full circle. It was just a merry-go-round for me. 
the man that I was dating at the time, he, he really didn't know, you know, all he could say is, you know, I love you. You'll get through this. That wasn't enough for me because I blamed myself. I said, I did my breast exams. Oh yeah. Being a nurse and taking care of breast cancer patients. That's the thing. I said, maybe there was more that I could do. You know, I did my breast exams, you know, every month, but my OBGYN said, you wouldn't have found it unless it was so far advanced it was too late because it was in the ducks, the milk ducks. He's like, you wouldn't be able to tell. The only telltale sign about that was, and I just thought it was, you know, probably getting ready to go through menopause or something being in early 40s was, you know, clear liquid was coming from the, the nipple, the right breast. Now so, that is unusual. It's very unusual. Yeah. Um, my mother called me that next day and I was just sobbing and crying and she really didn't know what to say, but she said, you know, you're going to have to think about your kids because I had the two boys at the time. And she said, I don't know what else to tell you. She said, you're going to have to stop and think about the kids. And so after we hung up, I stopped crying and it wasn't the fact of what she said. It was the fact that, oh my gosh, I've been through worse. I think, no, this is worse having cancer. I went into prayer. I asked God to forgive me. I, I did not mean to blame him. I did not mean to take the blame on myself because there was nothing I could have done. Cancer runs rampant in my family on both sides. Well, now that I know both sides, I had two good surgeons at the time. One did the mastectomy and then one did the reconstruction. And I was on the table for 12 hours. I didn't know that. And, and you know, I, I joked about it um, because as they're wheeling me down the hall, they're like, okay, you can start counting from a hundred. So I'm like, okay, hundred. I said, oh, my eyes feel weird. Am I getting high? And they're laughing at me, you know, and I'm like- Did you even get to 98? Yeah, well, I think I got to 98, 97. But the funny thing is they wheeled me into the OR and I knew the residents and the intern. And, you know, they were in there talking. All of a sudden they stopped talking. And I said, what? And the chief resident, he was really good. He looked at me. I said, stop that. Stop the doom and gloom. And I told my surgeon, tell him to stop the doom and gloom look. And he's like, stop the doom and gloom look. And they said, no, I was out. In recovery room, this is what happened. So I heard my name being called. I'm like, I am so sorry. I lost count. And the nurse is like, what do you mean? I said, I started at 100. I think I stopped at 90. And she's like, it's 12 hours later, you're in a recovery room. I'm like, oh my God, really? Isn't that so scary, right? It's so it scary because the first time I had a surgery, not that long, but a surgery like that, um, my appendix had burst and I was wheeled into emergency surgery. I woke up and I said, oh, when is this surgery gonna happen? I was super irritable, I woke up. And the nurse said, it, it has, it has. And I said, no, it hasn't. I mean, I was horrible and she said okay and she said what time do you remember talking to the anesthesiologist what time yeah. do you remember being wheeled in and i said it was like 5 15. she said great look at the clock and it was like 6 15 6 30. i was oh, like wow. oh my gosh wow. yeah yeah Isn't it was that something it's so yeah scary yeah so you had a a mastectomy on the one breast? Yes, I had a mastectomy on the right and then the uh, reconstruction done um, that same day. 
it was a, uh, a tram flap where you got a tummy tuck, they took the muscles and then they build it up inside of you. It's a long, it's a long, but this is the short version. And I had the original breast tissue to build the nipple. He took a skin graft from my inner thigh and that was great. But I told my surgeon, my first post-op visit, I said, I think it's going to come back. And he's like, no, because I didn't have to have any chemo, no radiation. The nodes, the lymph nodes were all negative. Um, They didn't want to start me on anything like tamoxifen because I had not started menopause yet. So there was like a big thing back in 98 to do or not to do, especially in someone as young as me. 2004, it came back on the left side and I knew it. You know, every time, you know, that time of the month, it didn't feel right. And I'm like, oh, I didn't feel any lumps. I was still doing my, I even did the, the right breast. And I called this up the surgeon's office, got an appointment. And at the same time, I had requested off the following week because hopefully, you know, he could do the surgery, hopefully his time. And so I told him, I said, I think it's back. Nah. He said, well, let me biopsy it. He called me a couple of days later, two, three days later and said, it's back. When can you have the surgery? I said, I took off next week. So he got me in on that following Wednesday. You knew, like you knew. Yeah, it was just this bad feeling. And I said, you know, it's coming back. You know, it was just this weird feeling in the back of my head. And I said, it's going to come back. The second time I told, because he had told me, the surgeon told me, it's more than likely it could come back in the right breast because I still had original tissue that he used to make the new breast. And I told him, I said, take it off. And he's like, are you sure? I said, absolutely, take it off. So is it the same breast both times? Uh, no, it was yeah, the right one first, the left one second. And the second one, he put a saline in it. And my body hates foreign objects. And of course, I'm stubborn too. So I went back to work like the following week. I said, I can go back to work. I just couldn't do a lot of lifting. I started not feeling great. I said, I feel kind of lousy. The left side, left side of my chest was hard as a rock. I was warm. It was tender. And I still had the bulb. They call it the Jackson Pratt ball, the JP bulb was still draining. Went to the so wait, you still had a drain in? Yeah, I still had a drain in. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had <laughs> pinned it up inside. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know. But, uh, the, the crazy thing about this, so I had the surgery on Wednesday for the left. I went home on Friday. I had a, I had a gig that night. And the venue and my bandmates said, we don't have to do this. You don't have to do it. Reschedule. Go home and heal. No, I want to sing. You'll understand. I need that music. Please, folks, don't try that. I wasn't having pain, but by the time I was done, I swear, I thought I was carrying like another human being. I was so swollen because I didn't give my chance to go home and rest and just, and it was a three and a half hour show. And I'm like, I won't do that again. Oh, I just got chills. Oh my God. I will do that again. That was called stubbornness and stupidness (laughs) all in one. The next couple of weeks, you know, I, it got infected. My surgeon had to go back in and open things up. And I can't feel anything, which is weird um, because he kept the nerve in and I had to have the dressing changes. I could, I could swear you could see my heart muscle pumping. That's how deep it had to go in to let out all the infection. 
it didn't hurt. It didn't bother me. And I had great nurses, like both times I was in the hospital when I had home care. So it was kind of interesting to see a couple of the nurses. They're like, what did you do? They're like, no, wait a minute. Forget about what did you do? What were you not supposed to do? <laughs> but yeah, I, I had to laugh my way through it both times because my friends and family, they were so taken aback and they were so morbid, so sad. I'm like, you all, had this been ignored, I probably would not be here with you right now. So I can joke about this because this is scary. Give me an example of what you mean by that they were morbid. The first time I was in the hospital, um, I guess I had so much fluid, like I couldn't breathe. They did a thorough workup, couldn't find anything wrong with my heart or lungs. And they figured, okay, just probably had fluid. A couple of my coworkers would come and, you know, come and see me. And it's like, wait a minute, I have to sing for you, but I'm gonna like this deep breath. So let me get my oxygen. And, you know, and I'm laughing through that and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. Like they just look so sad. I'm like, guys, stop it. Um, and then the gentleman I was dating at that time, he would walk in. I said, you got to bring in your bass so that we could like start singing. He's like, no, you can't even talk. So in other words, I was trying to be there for them, trying to cheer them up, you know, even though it was me and it was not working. A couple of my coworkers and um, they, they got very angry with me. This is something serious. How could you joke about it? I said, because I could have died. And I said, that's the worst case scenario out of all of this. I said, obviously God was like watching over me, sent an angel to watch over me because this was found by a fluke the first time. Like totally yeah. said, God bless my OBGYN for having that thought, by the way, mammogram. You know, and the second time, you know, I said, wow, I can see my heart moving. Look at that. And I'm doing this and I'm sticking my head <laughs> And the guy that I was dating, he just kind of walked away. And I said, wow, people don't understand. Deep down inside, I was scared to death both times. Yeah. I mean, you were using humor as a coping mechanism, exactly. which I, I do as well. Yeah. And that, that's yeah. okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But you've been good sense. Yeah, so far, so good. So 2014, my medical oncologist, I was getting scanned every year for, you know, to survey me. 2014, my medical oncologist said, you look great, feel great. Your CAT scans have not changed. I'll see you if you ever need me again. And I've never needed him since 2014. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we have established that you are a very passionate and excellent nurse and a very stubborn and bad patient. Yeah. <laughs> they say nurses are, to, are, are make the worst patients. And I'm like, oh, doctors too. Doctors uh, are yeah, horrible patients, yeah. I've taken care of a couple of doctors, but you know what? After a while, okay, you're the nurse. I'll do what you say. I'm like, do not give me orders. You know, you're not allowed to have me like, you give me a verbal order. You can't do that. That's not how it works. Tell me now about being a caregiver and your mother's multiple battles with cancer. The first time I found out my mother had her first bout of cancer, she had cervical cancer. She was pregnant with my brother. I was only seven years old, but I didn't know what was going on. But when I became an adult, um, I had found out she, and they wanted her to have an abortion to oh, save her. Gosh. And she's like, absolutely not. So I don't know if she carried him the full term or it was a couple weeks, 
but he was born and she had a hysterectomy. So she had her four kids. My brother was the last one to be born. Her second bout was when I finished nursing school, as I mentioned before, she had breast cancer. Of course, she had a mastectomy. She was put on tamoxifen. I don't think she had chemo or, uh, no, she did not have chemo or radiation. I think I get the, I gotta be strong for everybody else. And yeah, I'm stubborn. I'm gonna do my thing. Back then, when in 87, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer, I really didn't have to do anything with her. I, I didn't know what to do. I was a brand new nurse, so my mother kind of did her thing. When my mother passed away in 2015, we didn't know this. And I had told my siblings, I said, I think she had gotten diagnosed and she just didn't tell us. My mother had fell and then she went to the hospital. This is when she passed away, we found out. Took her to the local hospital. Um, she was delirious. She, the surgeon said, we have to take her to the operating room right away. Apparently she had a tumor. They went in, it's called debulking the tumor, but, but they closed her back up. They ran tests, the pathology came back. Um, she had lymphoma and colon cancer. She never got better. Her heart wasn't the greatest. I was there, I'll, I'll never forget. I, I was there, she was delirious, up and down, up and down, I said, this was a sign to me. I said, she's getting ready to die. She was confused. She knew who I, she was in and out of knowing who I was. Um, and then my youngest sister came in and I said, I'm going to go home. I got to take care of my, you know, my youngest, but I'll be back. Probably not long after I had went home, she coded. She ended up in the ICU on the ventilator. She never woke up again. I not only had to be the nurse as far as knowing what was going on and, you know, my siblings did not know. I kind of get choked up because I feel bad for my siblings. The ICU doctor and the surgeon, the surgeon stayed on the case and they came out and said there was nothing more they could do. My one sibling, my sister, she's like, can't we get her transferred to another hospital as Haker? I said, she's not there anymore. She's gone. I said, she left when she coded. I said, I just have this feeling. And so nieces and nephews were there, you know, the grandkids, my, all three, all four of us were there. The social worker, we had a family meeting, doctor, social worker. They said, they asked us, you know, do we want to continue? Here's the outlook. And I said, she's not going to a nursing home on a ventilator. She's not getting a feeding tube. There is no way on this planet I'm going to let her suffer like that. That's suffering. I said, she's only like this because of us as far as staying alive this way. And I explained to my siblings, I said, you all don't understand. I've seen this. I've taken care of people on ventilators. This is not a good thing. So they, you know, the doctor, they were so wonderful, Andrew. They were excellent. We all agreed, my siblings and I agreed, and then they said, the doctor, the ICU doctor said, we'll take our time. We'll just decrease the drips that she's on. And then, you know, blood pressure, like, just went low to nothing, heart rate, nothing. It, and it was, 
I just felt bad for my nieces and nephews. My brother and my one sister, okay, my youngest sister was not. It was just very, very sad. I, I felt bad for them. I was glad my mother's like, thank God she's not going through this and she don't have to go through this anymore. She, she's done. With all the experiences of cancer, my dad died of tonsillar cancer. It was, uh, by the time he got to hospice, not even 24 hours, he had passed away. I, I didn't take care of him, my half-sister. She was taking care of him and that was fine. He ended up going living with her. I think he died like less than three months within diagnosis. Um, I went to see him in the hospital. That was my last time I saw him. He was so swollen. He couldn't hardly breathe. You know, it was just, I said, oh God, he died in 2008. It's been a life-changing, teaching, learning, um, never give up curve for me with cancer. People can't see it if they're listening to the podcast, but I'm still just so choked up listening about your mother because I have been witness to a good death and a home mm -hmm. and I have seen a bad death in a hospital and those decisions that are often left to the loved ones especially if the patient did not do any sort of advanced planning can be really difficult it's very difficult um, i've already told everybody friends family they can work on me if there's hope for me yes i said but if there ain't no hope and they come talk i said you better not because i'm coming back for you you know <laughs> And I say that in my family, my oldest does not like to talk about death and dying. I said, but honey, once you're born, it's part of life. Yeah, it is. And right? I said, it I've is. seen enough of it. I've been in codes. I've seen people bleed out. I, I said, I've seen a lot. I've seen patients that they're in and out of the hospital come on my unit. And I said, they die right in front of me. I said, I've seen it all. I've seen, I've been to friends' funerals. I've, se I've said, it's not that I'm immune to it but I'm a realist. I do not want to be on a ventilator for the rest of my life. I said, it's a hardship for you. You can't keep coming to see me like that. It'll break your heart. And I said, and plus I don't want your brother, you know, seeing me like that. I don't know how that would affect him because my youngest is on the autism spectrum. So he was close to my mother. And when I took him to the viewing, he was fine. All the relatives were there, friends. But when I took him up to the casket to show him, I thought I was in a movie. All of a sudden, this dark cloud went over his face. And so he went from smiling to that. I let him stand there for a few minutes. And so the gentleman that I was dating at the time, they were close. And I said, look at James. He's not moving. I said... I went up to him and say, okay, come on. I said, it's like he is a statue and he's looking at my mother and he said, I'll take care of it. So he went up to him nice and easy, stood beside him, started smiling. He's like, James, come on, you ready? And all of a sudden he turned and looked at him and that dark cloud left his face and he started smiling again. He was back to himself. One of his cousins, uh, my brother, one of my brother's sons was um, killed three months after that, the same year. I did not take him because they were close. I did not take him to the viewing or the funeral. I said, I can't go through that again because I don't know how to handle that. We've seen a lot as far as cancer and death in our family, but 
I'm really trying to understand it and be understanding for not only for myself, but for others. Oh, Freddie, that comes across. It, it really does. And I just, I'm just having such a hard time not, not crying um, for so many reasons. But, but, I, but I too have cancer on both sides of my family. Yeah. Let's see if I can remember all the different kinds. Bone, breast, lung, liver, head, and neck. Wow. Five different kinds of cancer. And only one situation, the lung cancer, both my paternal uncle and paternal grandfather were smokers. What was your worst moment? And you choose whether you want to choose your worst moment as a patient or as a nurse or as a caregiver. My worst moment. Let's see. <laughs> Let me think about that for a minute. <laughs> That's um, fine. Honestly, I think my worst moment is hearing about my mother's dual diagnosis at the mm. end of her life. And then yeah. on top of that, the surgeon came back and she pulled me aside and she talked to me a little bit more. And she said, given your mother's history, your family history and the pathology report, Everybody, she said, from the time your mother was first diagnosed with her first cancer that year, go back nine years and everybody nine years need to go get genetic testing and probably consider getting a colonoscopy. And I'm like, yeah. I thought I had passed out, came back to life. They were working. I couldn't believe it. I said, what did she just say? And I'm like, holy cow. Because my maternal grandfather had throat cancer. He died of throat cancer. He was a huge smoker. And I said, here we go with my mother. One of his brothers had lung cancer. And I said, this is a domino effect on both sides of my family. That was the worst moment because I didn't know how to approach my siblings. I didn't want to say anything to them now. Um, but maybe like a month or two later, you know, I started talking to them and I said, you all really need to go get checked out. Talk to your doctors. Start with your PCP. This is how you do it. Because sometimes insurance companies won't pay for genetic testing. Just kind of depends. And the only one that I know of, well, I know my one sister, she was diagnosed with some kind of cancer. I never know because she doesn't like to talk about it. My brother has had a scare. My oldest I had talked to him about it and he said, oh, mom, I had to get a colonoscopy anyway. He said, so I'm fine. I said, okay, good. That was the heart. I think that was the worst moment in my life is hearing that mm -hmm. knowing she died of two different cancers. I'm like, yeah, the surgeon is right. I kind of figured that anyway because of the cancer running rampant in our family. Yeah. What about your best moment? I finished nursing school. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to think about that one. No, I did not. I could not. I finished nursing school and it was a joyous moment for me. I was so like, yay. I had my oldest there because at the time it was just, you know, me and him and uh, his dad. And I was so happy, so thrilled. And I remember um, his dad driving me to my mom's and I'm like, I did it. And she's like, okay, <laughs> you're supposed to. I'm like, really? Well, that's how my mom was. She was big on education. 
she was the type of person, don't be bragging and all that. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to be educated. You're supposed to keep learning. But I was so happy because I did it because it was a tough road for me. It was very tough because I wasn't sure, but you know, I kept praying every single day. I'm like, I want to do this. This is important. You know, and I just said, this is what you want me to do. I don't want to be the neurosurgeon, so I'll be the nurse. So yeah, that was my best moment besides having the kids. (laughs) But (laughs) that was my best moment as something that I accomplished. And I was the first one in my family um, to graduate from nursing school and I went on to get my bachelor's so I was the first one to graduate from four-year college so I'm gonna switch it up a little bit I'm gonna save the healthcare question that's coming can you tell me has there ever been a patient who's just really touched your heart and perhaps changed how you do things but they've just they've stayed with you I've worked with cancer patients three-fourths of my nursing life so there, there's not one patient and, you know, interesting enough, I remember a lot of them, but I can bring back most recent. There was a, a woman, she passed away probably about two years ago when I started this job about, and I got to know the patient and the family. The daughters were nurses. She had the diagnosis, I believe it was pancreatic cancer. I don't think it was colon. I think it was pancreatic cancer. And it had gotten to the point that... Um, I believe she had she had the chemo first surgery, but it didn't look too good. Um, and they were the nicest people. Mm. I absolutely loved her family. And she actually passed away on the day that my mother was born. Oh. So that you know that's how I keep remembering. And they took her home they got her in hospice i told them i said i don't deal much with hospice but you know we can you know get it going for you and they they kept her home they took care of her and the family called me and they thanked me i said i didn't do much i said 90 percent of my job now is outpatient nurses on the phone you know i try to maneuver through the system without breaking rules but i said you know you all were a pleasure to talk with I love mm-hmm. talking to her. I gave them my condolences. But that has happened with a lot of my patients, even not even cancer patients. I did orthopedics for a while. People, they buy food, you know, before the pandemic, we had patients, you know, give us, it's like, thank you so much. But that family, but I loved it because they never faltered. They never missed mm-hmm. a beat when it came to her. If they didn't know, they would ask me. And if I didn't know, I said, let me find out the answer. I said, because I don't know everything. I said, but I will make sure I get you an answer. And Mm -hmm. I said, if nobody knows the answer, I'll just tell you. I don't know. They don't know. It's heartbreaking, but I turned that around and said, you know what, Lord, I'm so glad I've gotten to know these people and their family. Yes, I know they had to come home and be with you. This is how I feel. Oh, that's so beautiful. If you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? I will be as nice as I can. <laughs> oh, you don't have to be nice, <laughs> but you only get one thing. <laughs> so, no, <laughs> um, but seriously, if I could change the health insurance system, 
because it's a battle royal for us. I just did my first appeal and we got the appeal. Yes, I was so proud of myself because I've never done that as an outpatient nurse. I've never done that, period. And it's a long process. If insurance companies can just change their criteria for cancer, that's the one thing that I would change. Please change the criteria for how you look at cancer patients. If there's clinical trials out there, if there are medications, a lot of the medicines are so super expensive. That, that would be the one thing. The insurance companies change the criteria for our cancer patients. For actually patients, period. It doesn't even matter if it's cancer. Change your criteria. Look at the general um, consensus of hospitals. If they could do that, that would be great. I like that because it's very specific. Mm -hmm. Okay, you ready for, we're going to lighten things up for the Thriver Rapid Fire questions? Okay, go. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Oh, well, Rolling Stones. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? I wasn't sure. I thought you were going to say Beatles. Well, I was, Um, but Rolling Stones. What is one word that best describes you? Faithful. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Heavy Toll by Dan Boobian and the Delta Struts. That's become my favorite lately. Ooh, I'm going to have to listen to that. Yeah, I love that. I keep saying I need to make a playlist. What's the last meal you want to eat? Ooh, I was just talking about food with my barber today. I would like um, a good seafood meal with all different types of vegetables with it. Okay, I'm in. That sounds good. The last person or people you want to see? My children. And the last words you will speak? Continue doing what you're doing. Don't let nothing or nobody drag your spirit down. And aside from Cancer You, what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And also, please be sure to tell people how to get in touch with you. I would definitely check out your American Cancer Society. But for those of you, since I deal with pancreatic cancer, I would go on the PanCan Network, P-A-N-C-A-N. They do a lot of work locally and nationally and from what I understand, internationally, too. You can find me through my website, MissFreddy.com, M-I-S-S-F-R-E-D-D-Y-E. I'm on social media, Instagram, Freddie Stover. Hit me up. I'm on Twitter at MissFreddy17. And I'm on Facebook, MissFreddy. Go on my page, like my page, see what I'm doing. And you can check out my music on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Apple Music, CD Baby. You know, add me to your playlist. Please make sure you do that. (laughs) That's awesome. We will put links to all of that in the show notes and in the workshop notes. And I am adding you to my playlist because I know what kind of music I like and I'm positive I'm going to love it. So great. Thank you so much for for sharing your story as a patient, for sharing your stories as a nurse and, and for sharing your your family's story and especially your, your mother's story. Um, I wasn't sure I was going to make it through that one in particular. Yeah. I, I just, I really appreciate you 
you coming on. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This it, it's been a pleasure, and actually, I feel like a burden has been lifted. <laughs> I, I do talk about my story, but I, I don't know. This is this is very different when I talk to everyday people, you know, or friends, um, families. Yeah, it, it feels like a burden has been lifted off my shoulder. It's the weirdest feeling. I, I really appreciate this. And I want to give a shout out to my publicist, Michael Stover, MTS Management. <laughs> he is awesome. He is a believer and he works his butt off for his artists. So I'm very, very grateful. He's, he's <laughs> awesome. So we'll put a little link to him as well. Now, Stover. We're not related people. And you know, before I joined his management team, um, you're not related at all. No, we're not related. We've been Facebook friends for a few years and I've been following him, you know, his journey and everything. And uh, it's kind of funny. We finally took a I finally met him in person. I did a show at uh, with my gospel band um, at a church a few days ago. And we finally met and we took pictures. It's on my uh, Facebook (laughs) and it's on his Facebook. And it's like no blood relation, but people still ask me, are you related, married? I said, no, and unless his family came from, you know, down south somewhere, we're not related. I said, because it's not, Stover's not popular, but it's, it's not, not it's common. It's not common no. though. It's, yeah, it's not, not super common, no. Because I kept looking at our noses in the picture. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> I said, I don't know. Freddie, thank you again for coming on and sharing your story. Oh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.